Welcome to Jury Duty, I'm your host, Chris Terracone. Season 8 of Jury Duty explores the trial of Alex Murdoch, a member of one of the most powerful families in South Carolina, who is accused of murdering his son Paul and his wife Maggie, with the purpose of covering up a multitude of alleged crimes including fraud and homicide. In our last episode, we continued our presentation of the direct examination of Alex Murdoch's former paralegal, Annette Griswold. In this installment, we again review Ms. Griswold's testimony along with private discussions over a defense objection. That's all coming up right after the break. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It is the morning of February 8th, 2023, day 11 of the trial of Alex Murdoch. In our previous episode, Annette Griswold testified about the investigation into disbursement irregularities conducted by PMPED law firm CFO Jeannie Seckinger and herself related to a case involving Andrew Ferris. Alex Murdoch had represented Ferris with his friend and law school roommate Chris Wilson following a 2015 vehicle crash involving Ferris and a Mack truck. In February of 2021, Ferris was awarded a $5.5 million settlement with $792,000 in attorney fees due to Wilson and Murdoch's PMPED law firm. As we concluded our last installment, Ms. Griswold described the discomfort shared by Ms. Seginger, herself, and Chris Wilson's assistant, Vicki Lyman, as the attorney fees appeared to have vanished. As we begin today, Prosecutor Creighton Waters hands a document to Ms. Griswold. Unfortunately, what's been marked as Exhibit 440 to your testimony, and again, just tell me, first of all, just if, without going into any content, whether or not you recognize that particular document. I do. It's a text strand between myself and Vicki Lyman. And is this, uh, what, what is the date on that particular text strand? June 2nd, and then it runs into June 3rd. And is that 2021? Yes, I'm sorry, 2021. And is this a text strand where y'all are discussing the things that you described here today? Yeah, I told her I just, you know, don't mention it anything. Hold on, just real quick. Okay. Y'all are describing what we're talking about here today? That is correct. All right, Your Honor, at this time I would uh, move stakes 440 into evidence. Defense attorney Jim Griffin rises to object to the document being entered into evidence. You want to object on hearsay grounds? It doesn't fall within an exception to the hearsay rule? See the document. Upon Judge Clifton Newman's request, Ms. Griswold hands him the document. The judge reviews it for a moment, returns it to the witness, and then sustains the objection. Ms. Griswold hands the document back to Creighton Waters, and the prosecutor moves on to asking the witness about her communications to Chris Wilson's assistant, Vicki Lyman, on June 2nd, 2021. Did you ultimately uh, text uh, 
Vicky, uh, on that particular day? I did. I told her that um, I gave her time to get back from vacation, and I just basically texted her with my concerns and told her how stressed out I had been over this situation and how I was hoping my suspicion was wrong, but I was really stressed out. And um, unfortunately, my daughter, we had, me and Vicky had talked on the phone. Vicky had called me as well, and unfortunately, my daughter had overheard me too, so she instantly got like really worried for me. And my daughter said, Mom, you need to go ahead and get your resume because once you turn all this in, they may fire you. Right. So she was very concerned for me. And this uh, latest email on the screen, that was June 2nd, 2021. Is that That's correct? correct. You recall June 7th, 2021? I do. Was that a Monday? It was. Were you at work that day? I was. Did the defendant come to work that day? He did. He came in um, probably around lunchtime. I can't remember if he came in before lunch or after, but some somewhere in that time frame. Did you see Jeannie Seconder that day? I did. Um, Jeannie had already told me that she needed to, she was going to talk to Alec about the Ferris um, fee checks that were missing. She was going to go and talk to him about them that day. Um, and so she asked me to let, him, let her know when he got it to the office. So when he got to the office, I reached out to her to let her know. And did she come up to, you, to your area? She did. And we have open style um, offices, no doors on the secretary door secretary's offices so um, she had to pass by me to get Alex's office so I saw her when she was walking past. Did she give you any luck when she walked past? She did it was kind of just like that you know just kind of a raised eyebrow like wish me luck here goes nothing kind of look like hope you know because we were both just like I said wanting to get answers and get answers about what about those missing checks and figure out what was going on. Where did she go after she gave you that look? Um, I heard Alex's doors closed, so I assumed in his office to talk to him. This is what day? This is June 7th, 2021. Did she come out after? She did, and she didn't stop. She just hurried by my desk, and she went on about her business. Did you have any conversation yourself about the Ferris fees with the defendant that day? I uh, don't recall having any discussion with him on that day. At that point, I turned, you know, Jeannie had everything, and it was kind of in her hands. What time do you think you left work that day? I left at 5.15 that day. Is that your normal time? It's not. I typically work later. Alec always tend to work nights, and me and Christy tend to kind of adapt to his schedule a little bit and work a little later than 5 o'clock. Most of the time, we were there till 5.30, 6 o'clock. When you left the office on June 7th, 2021, at 5.15, was the defendant still there? He was. Eventually went home? Yes. Just a normal night? Yeah, I went straight home that night. Did that change at some point? Uh, yes, it definitely. Um, my phone was on silence and I was I slept through a bunch of text messages and calls. I woke up in the middle of the night and my phone was just full and I was like, what is going on? And so I'm looking through the text messages. They don't make a lot of sense. I see I have a voicemail message from from Randy Murdoch. And so I checked the voicemail and, and I could tell he was upset and crying. And he said, Annette, please call me when when you can it doesn't matter what time and so i don't remember what time it was but it was sometime in the middle of the night and i called him and he told me well when when i when he answered the phone he was he was upset obviously and i said randy what's wrong and he said it's bad in it it's real bad and i said oh no mr randolph passed and he said no it's not it's not dad it's maggie and paul and i said what and he said they've been shot and murdered and i said what and it was just it was very overwhelming i'm we both cried on the phone with each other and and you know 
obviously the first thing I did was say, oh my God, how is Alec? You know, how is he? Is he okay? Where's Buster? Is Buster okay? I was very concerned. You know, I had a million thoughts running in my head. I was like, are you guys safe? You know, is this something aimed at the entire family? You know, and I was very, very worried about Alec and Buster and Randy and his family and the entire Murdoch family. So it was um it was very overwhelming. Over the nine years of being working closely for the defendant, did you also get to know his family, Maggie and Paul and Buster? I did. Is this firm uh, pretty tight knit? Yes. What was the reaction of the people in the firm to this terrible news? There was two reactions. First was scared. We we were like, please lock our doors. Um, you know, we're scared. Who is this aimed at? Is it a client retaliating? Is it, you know, aimed at Ellick? Is it aimed at the firm? We didn't know. We just had so many questions, no answers, a million thoughts running through our heads. We were just there, you know, supporting each other and helping one another through this grieving process. And at the same time, we were very protective over Ellick and Randy. We wouldn't let them leave the office if the strange cars were driving around. We would say, don't walk out yet. There's a white car that's went around three times. I mean, we were in complete mama bear mode. We were, we were just, we didn't want them to go out and have to talk to reporters. We didn't want them to have to run out and run into anybody. And we were scared for them. We were, we were very protective. I mean, we, Anything suspicious out the window, we were on high alert. <laughs> Said, uh, what kind of mode? Mama bear mode. Mama bear, bear protecting who? Protecting Alec and Randy. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Prosecutor Waters continues his direct examination of Annette Griswold by asking her about how the members of the law firm's community responded to the news of the murders of Maggie and Paul Murdoch. Did the law firm community rally to the aid of the defendant? They did. Is that the primary focus of on everybody's mind? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Were you at all concerned about finding out what happened to these Ferris fees after that happened? What Ferris fees? <laughs> What Ferris fees? Yeah, what Ferris fees. Uh, and that was the furthest thing on my mind. In fact, is that the last time you really thought about it in any, any aspect until September of 2021? It is, yes, sir. And you were more focused on helping this defendant and his family in the aftermath of this tragedy that it happened? Yes. And everybody was so supportive. I mean, some of our the associate attorneys stepped up. And they came up to me and Christy and said, hey, you know, if you need anything over the next few weeks, you need us to review a file for you, get something else, sign it and get it out the door. We're here for you guys 100%. So it wasn't, you know, we were supportive. And then we had other folks in the office that were coming up to us, supporting us as well, because they knew we were at a standstill. What do we do? You know, because we knew obviously he was not going to be the same and not be himself for quite a while. I asked you earlier about the boat case. Before the murders, when the boat case happened, had there been some reaction and backlash in the community against the defendant and his family after the boat case? Yes, it was very difficult because Hampton being a small town, we all know each other and we're all, we all know both sides for the most part. For 
instance, um, Mallory Beach, her father is my first cousin. So Mallory Beach, I was kind of felt like I was in between a rock and a hard place because, you know, her family is, you know, beyond heartbroken over the loss of her. And then, and I know some of them didn't like the idea that I was still working at the firm, but I was still, to me, it was two separate entities. This is my job. This was my family. And I, I had to keep them separate. I didn't want any part of the boat wreck case. I didn't want to know any details or anything because, like I said, I was keeping my family life and my work life separate. After the murders, you said the law firm community, though, rallied to Alex's aid, correct? Absolutely. Everybody. Did the larger community do as well? Yes, they did. After the murders? Yes, sir. You mentioned that after those murders happened, what Ferris fees? They were the farthest thing from your mind. Correct? Yes, sir. <clears throat> When did they come back to your attention? September 2nd, it was a Thursday um, in the afternoon, and I was looking for a file in the file cabinet, and I was unable to locate it. And lots of times if, you know, Alex talking to a client on the phone, he'll yell for a file and we'll take it to him. So I was like, oh, it's probably in his office. So I went to his office to look for the file. And when I found it, I picked it up. And when I did, um, a check kind of floated like a feather to the ground. And when I bent over to pick it up, I saw the check and what it said and had on it. And I instantly became very upset because it happened to be one of the checks from the Ferris case that didn't exist. And what did you see on the check that let you know that stuck out in your mind? It was from Chris Wilson's office. It was written to Richard Alexander Murdoch. And at the bottom, it said Ferris fees. And it was dated March. <laughs> So what did you realize at that I point? said, well, I said, he's been lying this whole time. He had these funds. He lied to me. Oh, my, that feeling in the back of my mind was correct. Unfortunately, he did take these funds because when I flipped the check over, I also saw that he had deposited by mobile deposit, and, and I can't remember if he signed the back of the check or if it just said mobile deposit only. Let me show you stage 313, see if you recognize that. It's already in evidence. Creighton Waters hands Ms. Griswold a piece of paper with a check stapled to it. Yes, sir. That's the check that I found on September 2nd. And uh, if you flick up uh, one side, the other side. Yeah. It's got his signature, uh, his signature, Bank of America deposit only. You recognize that writing as the defendant's? Yes, it is. When that check fluttered down, you picked it up? I did. You saw that? Where did you take it? Did you take it anywhere? Yeah, I went back to my desk and you can imagine I was all the emotions that I was feeling at this point, you know, I was, I was hurt. I was angry. I just was beside myself. And I was, I was a bit enraged too, because I asked him so many times, there were so many times that I felt like we could have clarified this and got it taken care of. But here it is from March to September. And I find this check that supposedly did not exist. And so I, um, I went to my desk, I called Jeannie and I was like, I just found something. And she said, Oh shit, <laughs> what did you find? And I said, are you busy? And she said, come on over. And I went over and closed her door and threw the check at her. And I and she was like, is this one? I said, yeah, that's one of the fierce checks that doesn't exist. Was Jeannie doing any, uh, anything else or start doing anything else when you came down with that check? I didn't know it until I took her the check. But when I took her the check, she was like, yeah, I just ran a report yesterday. And she said, um, we're going to, one of the attorneys is going to call Michael Gunn later today. And I said, well, what, you, what do you mean? And that's when she told me that she thinks there's some more stuff too. Back to my suspicion with Hirschberger and Thomas Moore. She pulled a report and she found out that we may have other issues of stolen funds. But I was not aware of any of that. I didn't know that she was looking into it again. I didn't know any of that until I took her the check and she said she had just started doing stuff within the last few days. Within a few days of this happening, what happened to the defendant's uh, employment at the law firm? 
he was fired the next day. And did the law firm engage in a review process to determine the extent of any alleged? Yes, we've had months, um, months upon months of, of going through all of the files and finding, you know, just following the numbers and making notes on everything. And it, lots of hours, lots of manpower into, involved in this process of putting everything together and just in awe of how much was happening and we had no no idea about it. About going through all the exhibits that we've gone through with Jeannie Seconder, but she was the one or one of the central ones in doing that review. Is oh, that of course, yes. And without going through each one, is a lot of those disbursements for the fake forge account, those were disbursements that the defendant told you to put on there? That's correct. Are those a lot of those disbursements, one where he corrected you and said, no, don't put forge insulting, put forge? Yes, they were. A lot of those checks, ones where he said, oh, I'm going to see Michael Gunn later, I'll take the check myself. Yeah, they were all for him. Prosecutor Waters brings another document to Ms. Griswold. I'll show you what's been marked as Exhibit 441. Again, without going into the contents, uh, tell me if you recognize that document. Yes, this uh, text message that Alex sent to me and Christy on September 26, when he was in 2021, when he was in um, rehab, is my understanding. Your Honor, this time I'd offer uh, States 441 and evidence. I believe without objection. No objection. Submitted without objection. Your Honor, I apologize. We we do have the 403 objection and subject to the court prior ruling on this. I haven't seen the exhibit. I don't. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, I have to go to the jury room for a break. Please do not discuss the case. Judge Newman calls for a break to review the defense's objection in detail. Once the jury leaves the courtroom, Judge Newman asks defense attorney Jim Griffin to clarify the grounds for his objection. Just preserving our prior objections on 404B evidence under 404B and 403. This, it's nothing new. I, I just forgot to state no additional objections than what we've already had in this line of testimony, which is this is the same line of testimony of financial misconduct. That's all. Sir Waters. Prosecutor Creighton Waters responds to the renewed objection. And I just clarify, I think, with defense counsel that he was not adding a specific 403 objection to that. It's just the prior objection. However, this is uh, a text uh, from the defendant to this witness in this particular instance. Certainly, it can be read, and then it's, uh, it's, there's no hearsay issue because obviously it's a statement of a party opponent, and it certainly also is relevant uh, because it uh, can certainly be read in the nature of an admission uh, to the various uh, uh, things that are at issue in this, these particular proceedings. Uh, and for that reason, uh, and there's certainly the probative value of an admission is certainly, uh, I would argue, is um, uh, the probative value of that is not substantially outweighed by the danger of any unfair prejudice. It introduces another issue, the issue of drug use, and, and um, I think the witness testified that he was in rehab. Is that what you said? That he was in rehab and sent an email. And, um, and just want to be clear from the defense, the, the part of, it, of the testimony that establishes through this witness that he was in rehab, that is not a basis for your objection? We do have, that, yes, we do object to evidence of his drug use and to be included in this, and we would ask that that document be redacted to the extent it references um, rehab at this time. It doesn't specifically mention drug use. So have you all reviewed the exhibit and tell me if, if you just, if you have no objection based on uh, the fact that he sent it while in rehab, then, uh, then it's admissible as far as your prior bad acts objection. 
Defense attorneys Jim Griffin and Dick Harpudlian confer privately before Griffin responds to the judge. We don't have any additional objections, Your Honor. We would because this does raise an additional character if you ask the court. We ask that the court give you know an additional limiting construction um, at some point in time. How does the character in that he saying he's getting better, or what what part addresses character? He says I'm getting better every day, and and I mean, that's just clear from that that he's in rehab. I mean, that's Mr. Waters. I, Your Honor, I mean, he doesn't expressly say that. I, I would point out that the issue of, uh, of pills has already come up a few times in this trial. I'm not trying to go there, but it is, uh, when we talk about 404 and, and rest just a, it is kind of part and parcel uh, of a lot of things. I mean, even the defense has examined, I believe, Ms. Feckinger on the issue of pills. Uh, and on top of that, you know, we, we had uh, Chris Wilson, um, who testified in camera, uh, who will also uh, testify here today. You know, one of the things he says when he uh, had that confrontation with the defendant on the uh, morning, or excuse me, the afternoon, I believe, of September 4th, that the defendant said, yeah, I've been stealing money and I've, I've been hooked on pills for a while. So uh, this is a bridge I think we have to, to cross at some point. Uh, the state is not trying to gild the lily with that, uh, but at least, um, you know, with these various witnesses, it is part of what they're being said. As far as that specific exhibit, though, Your Honor, uh, there's no express reference to drugs or anything like that, and it certainly is in the nature of admission. And, and again, I think for that reason, it's uh, very probative and very relevant and, and admissible for that reason. Well, my concern, obviously, is that we do not, um, or that I do not allow testimony involving these admissions to bleed so far into the character uh, 403 that it, it, it has has the effect of undoing uh, the 403, 404-403 analysis. Um, I, a lot of testimony has come in unobjected to that touches upon the defendant's character. That's why I want to be clear on what the objection is. From the state's perspective, we are trying to, uh, you know, walk that line. I mean, there's a lot of the financial stuff we're not even seeking to admit. Uh, I think that, you know, we've we've limited it to things that had that connection that we discussed in, in camera. So, uh, you know, I'm not trying to gild the lily. Judge Newman asks for clarification of the term gild the lily. That's a, that's a phrase I learned from Chief Justice Toll uh, over the years. I guess that means, uh, you know, um, piling on, I guess, is a way to, to, to do that. And again, I, I don't have you know, we we recognize the situation we're in and trying, obviously, not to get out over our skis for, from what the uh, admissibility of, uh, that the court has already ruled on. Uh, uh, I ponder it while we take the, our break. And with that, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Alex Murdoch. Please join us on our next installment as Judge Newman issues his ruling on the admissibility of Alex Murdoch's email to the witness and as we conclude our review of Ms. Griswold's testimony. Also, check out the Crime Story Podcast Night Raid wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie and Tholis. It was co-produced, written, and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. Trial audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty.